0: As I mentioned uh, this morning, we are starting a new sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And over the next eight weeks, we'll be going through the principles in in this book uh, written by uh, Pastor Pete Scazzaro. And the cover of the book and also the the image on the screen and on your bulletin, too, uh, is this image of an iceberg. Um, that that he even kind of mentioned in that that little clip that we watched earlier. And I just want to read a a short selection from chapter one, where Pete Scazzaro kind of fleshes out this image of why this image of an iceberg is so appropriate for this series. Uh, He says, In our more honest moments, most of us will admit that much like an iceberg, we are made up of deep layers that exist well beneath our day-to-day awareness. Only about 10% of an iceberg is visible. This 10% represents the ways we conduct ourselves and the changes we make that others can see. But the roots of who we are are often continue unchanged and unmoved. So during this series, we are going to be taking a dive beneath the surface. Uh, We're going to be examining the deeper parts of us the parts that are not always visible to others, the things that, that people can't necessarily just see through our actions. And, and, and some of this, this iceberg that we're going to be talking about are is, is things that we are not even fully aware of all the time. Um, and so we're going to be going deep in this series, trying to understand what are these deeper things going on um, under the surface in our lives. And the first chapter in in this book it's titled, The Problem of Emotionally Unhealthy Spirituality. And so we're going to start, before we kind of flesh out what, what this looks like positively, in this first chapter, it's looking at, what's the problem? What is the problem that we, that we face? Um, what does it mean to have emotionally unhealthy spirituality? And to give a window into that today, we're going to be looking on at a passage of scripture about King Saul. Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel, and as we're going to see in our text today, Saul's life gives kind of a, a good window into what, what this chapter is all about, emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So our text today is uh, from the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, and uh, we'll be reading verses 7 through 24. And just to give a little context for this passage, uh, just before the passage begins, God had instructed Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites. Uh, the Amalekites were a wicked, sinful uh, people who were known for their destructiveness, their injustice. They were just, you know, they were filled with wickedness. And so God had, had, given, had been very patient with this group of people over many, many, many a long time. And finally, he said, now it's going to be time for this people to receive my judgment um, through the hand of of Saul and the the Israelites. Uh, But as we're going to see, Saul didn't keep and fully obey God's command here. And so we'll we'll see that God then sends his prophet, Samuel, uh, to have this interaction with with Saul. So again, from 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, beginning with verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission. Saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites, make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would Open our hearts, Lord, that you would begin to expose uh, the areas in our own lives, Lord, where we might be like Saul, where we need you to to, to dig deep within us. And we pray that you would give us the courage to face those things in our lives and that you would remind us again that you're doing this out of love for us, Lord, in your mercy. So open our, our hearts and our ears now to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to start by looking at symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Um, In chapter 1 of of the book, uh, Pete Scazzaro actually lists 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We are not going to look at all 10 of those today. Um, For those of you who are part of small groups, you'll have a chance to maybe look a little bit into that, but, but, but actually don't worry, over the coming weeks we're going to sort of return to a lot of these symptoms as we look at the positive side of what emotionally healthy spirituality looks like. So don't get hung up on trying to have to understand all of these, these, um, these unhealthy symptoms. But today I want to focus on just a couple of these symptoms that we see particularly in the life of Saul, that we see in this passage uh, from, from Saul's life, and then think about how those might apply to us. So Saul he's given this command by God to completely destroy the Amalekites. But verse 9 says, But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. So it's pretty clear right off the bat that Saul didn't keep God's instructions here, right? God said, Completely destroy everything. And Saul and his army, as it says, they they didn't do that. They kept some of the things. And yet when the prophet Samuel comes to see King Saul, verse 13 says, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. So Saul, as he approaches Samuel, coming to him, he says, Hey, I've done it. I did exactly what God told me to do. Saul wants to present himself as being faithful and obedient to God, and so he says that he's carried out God's instructions, but Samuel immediately confronts him with the fact that he has not done this. Um, In verse 14 we read, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Um, Samuel kind of gets a little feisty with with Saul, kind of a little sarcastic, like what's What's going on here, Saul? I I hear some animals around here. Um, Right within his earshot, it's clear that Saul hasn't kept God's command. But the way that Saul responds to this, to sort of Samuel calling him out on this, right? No, No, You didn't keep God's command, Saul. The way Saul responds to that shows a couple of these symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. That, that Pete Scazzaro talks about in chapter 1. The first symptom that he outlines here, number one, is using God to run from God. Using God to run from God. How does Saul do that here? Well, Saul, he claims to be following God. right? He, in his mind, he's doing God's work. But in reality he's running away from God because he's not keeping God's law. In response to Samuel's question about the sheep and the cattle, Saul says in verse 15 this is kind of Saul's explanation, right? He says the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites and they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God but we totally destroyed the rest so so Saul says, well, well the reason we, you hear these sheep and these cattle around here is because we're sacrificing it to the Lord. We're doing God's work here. We're, we're, we're offering this, this offering to God. I mean, and that, that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, who can argue with that, sacrificing to the Lord? The problem is, that's not what God wanted. That's not what God asked Saul to do. God never asked him to, to keep some of the cattle to sacrifice to him. No, he, he asked them to completely destroy everything. And so in this situation, Saul uses God. He says that he's doing something for God, right I'm, I'm sacrificing to the Lord, but he's actually running from God because he's not keeping God 's law. and in, and in fact, what he's really doing by, by, by showing this, saying, "No, know, I'm sacrificing to the Lord, is that he doesn't want to come face to face with why he didn't obey God. He doesn't want to face the reason for why he didn't destroy everything. You see, Saul had an iceberg, Saul had an iceberg, just like you and I do, and there were things operating under the surface in Saul's life which he didn't want to face. He didn't want to acknowledge. What were some of those things? Well, one of them finally comes out at the very end of this passage, in the last verse of our text, when Saul finally admits that he did disobey God. In verse 24, he says to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And here's the reason that he gives. He says, I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Saul finally admits that the reason he didn't completely obey God's instructions was because he was afraid of the people. See, in his mind, he's he's portraying at at the top of the iceberg as, I kept the law. I, I'm doing these things for God. But deep underneath, the reality is, he knows that he didn't really keep God's instructions, and there's a reason for that. He was afraid of the people. He was afraid of what the people would say if, if they, he insisted that they had to destroy everything. And you can imagine the response, right, to, to these soldiers. As, as Saul says, wipe out everything. Destroy every single thing here. Imagine soldiers saying, why should we do that, Saul? Why should we destroy this perfectly good livestock that we can obviously use? Let's destroy the weak ones. Let's keep the strong ones. We'll sacrifice some of those to God, but there's a lot of good livestock we could really use from from this war. And Saul goes along with that because Saul cared more about how the people viewed him than he did about obeying all of God's instructions. How often do we do something similar in our lives? How often do we, are we willing to sort of fudge God's instructions for the sake of how other people will see us? At the beginning of, of the book, in, in, in that first chapter, Pete Scazzaro shares a story of a time when, when a couple that he had met at a speaking engagement in Connecticut came to visit his church in Queens. And this couple wanted to spend some time with him and his wife, Jerry, after their three Sunday morning worship services. They had three services that he had gone through. And this couple said, hey, can we spend some time with you? And Pete writes this. He says, I was exhausted. Understandably so, right? After three worship services. But, he says, my greater concern was what their pastor, a friend of mine, would think. What would they say to him if I simply sent them home? What might they say about me? So, I lied. Sure, I would love to have you for a late afternoon lunch. And I'm sure Jerry would, too sure his wife loved that response that he gave. And so Pete goes on to describe in the book that, that this lunch where throughout the lunch, underneath the surface, he's just, he's frustrated. He wants to get through this thing. But on the, on the surface, he, he shows this nice, happy face. He's enjoying this lunch. But it's a false face because he's so concerned with how they see him. He's not willing to be honest about how he's really feeling underneath because he, he's concerned about what they think. He's concerned about what their pastor will think. And so, really, what's happening here is that Paul is, and Pete, Pete's his arrow, he's doing exactly what Saul did. He's disobeying a clear command from God. One of the Ten Commandments do not bear false witness, do not lie. And he says, well, I'm just telling a white lie. I'm just, I'm just you know, I'm not being completely honest, but, but why? Why does he do that? It's because he cares so much about what the other people think of him. He's more concerned with how that couple will view him. But here's the thing. Did he want to admit that, that that's what he was doing? No. You see, Pete's Gazzaro, in his own mind, as he's trying to justify this, he uses God, tells himself, I'm, I'm sacrificing for the Lord today by graciously hosting this other couple, right? He's doing it for God. He's doing it for, for, for you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a, ho- a good host. But he's using God to actually run from God, to actually run away from what God wants to reveal in his heart, that, that, that he, he's got an idol in his own life. That idol is other people's opinions. And so peace considerate, he, he uses God to run away from God. He doesn't want to face the deep iceberg underneath the surface that showed how deeply he found his identity and how other people viewed him. And you know what? I've done very similar things in my own life. Right? I, I put out a, a a, a face. I don't want. To, I don't want to be honest with what's really going on underneath, because then it makes me face the fact that, that I'm actually trusting in other things other than God. And we can easily use God to run from God. Another symptom that that Scazzera points out in the book um, is is his number eight symptom that he lists in his list, which is covering over brokenness, weakness and failure. Saul didn't want to admit that he had failed to obey God, and so he keeps trying to cover over that fact. In that initial response to Samuel in verse 15, Saul emphasizes that, you know, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites they spared the best of the sheep and cattle but we totally destroyed the rest so even in this response he's he's distancing himself from what happened here right well it's really the soldiers that kind of instigated this thing he blames the soldiers and then Saul responds to, i mean Samuel the prophet Samuel responds to Saul in verse 16 and to 19 by basically saying stop it Saul he just says that. Stop it. Listen, he says, you're the king. You were given the command. You're responsible for carrying it out. And just admit it. You didn't do it. What's Saul's response? Verse 20, he says, but I did obey the Lord. (laughs) Right? But I did. And he goes on to say exactly the same thing. The soldiers kept some of the sheep and cattle in order to sacrifice it to God. Saul is unwilling to admit his mistake. He's just unwilling. He covers over that brokenness and weakness and failure. Now, does that ever happen in our world today? Does that ever happen? I mean, I feel like the news cycle every week is basically a case study in this symptom of, un, of spiritually unhealthy spirituality, right? I mean, we, we, we hear this constantly in our news. We hear it on both sides of the political spectrum. We hear someone gets caught in a lie or a mistake from someone's past is exposed. Right? This has happened many times over the last several weeks. And how does the per- person typically respond? Deny it. Make excuses for it. Shift the blame to someone else. Well, well what about that person that they did? Or just keep repeating the lie over and over and over again until you hope that people will eventually believe that lie. I mean, there is almost no room in our culture for someone to say, yes, I was wrong. Yes, I lied. In fact, I actually cared more about other people's opinion. I cared more about winning than I did about being honest. We never hear that in our culture, right? Why is that? The big reason why most people are unwilling to do this is because they know what lies on the other side of an admission like that. Judgment, condemnation, rejection. If you admit you are wrong, you're finished. You're seen as weak. And so there is this pressure to just cover over those mistakes and try to explain it away, give a good spin on that. Because we know that if we actually do admit it, What we're going to receive is rejection and condemnation. In our culture, confronting someone with their brokenness and weakness and failure, it's almost always designed to condemn them, to crush them, to dispose of them. And that's why we so often respond by trying to cover over these things. But here's the thing. That's our culture. Is that how it should be in the kingdom of God? Is that how it should be in in the church? Is that how it should be in in our marriage or in our families where, where we are so afraid of admitting our brokenness, our weakness, and failure because we're afraid that we're going to be crushed and condemned and rejected? Here's the thing. God's response when we admit our brokenness, weakness, and failure, it's not crushing us, condemning us, rejecting us. And so as we think about these, these symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality that we see in Saul, we see in our culture, we see in ourselves, I want to take a look at what God Intends when he confronts us with these things. And I want to suggest that, that God confronts us actually out of love. So let's take a look at God's loving confrontation. God confronts Saul with his emotionally unhealthy ways. Right? God, he, he confronts him with it. He sends the prophet Samuel as his representative to cause Saul to look beneath the surface, to deal with the iceberg that he's trying to ignore, that he's trying to cover over. And that that confrontation is challenging. In verses 22 and 23, Samuel says to Saul, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That's confrontation right there. And when you hear those words, you might ask, what's loving about that? I mean, isn't isn't God just responding with judgment and condemnation and rejection, just like we see in our culture? I mean, why would, why would you and I want to face God's confrontation? Why would we want to open up ourselves to that iceberg underneath if, if God's going to respond to us like that, what if, is he going to just reject us? Well, in, in, in chapter 1 again, Pete Scazzera shares about a moment... When he was confronted with his unhealthy habits. A moment when God confronted him through his wife, Jerry. Jerry came up to Pete and told him that that she was unhappy in their marriage. And that she didn't respect his leadership in their church. And so she told him that she was going to start going to another church. Now, Pete, as he reflects on this moment when when his wife confronted him this way, he he says this. He says, She had exposed my nakedness, and a part of me wanted to strangle her. He was upset with this confrontation, but he says, Mostly, I felt deeply ashamed. It was almost too much for my weak ego to bear. Nonetheless, This was probably the most loving thing Jerry has done for me in our entire marriage. Jerry's leaving the church pushed me over the brink to look beneath the surface of my iceberg, to depths that were, until this time, too frightening to consider. Pain has an amazing ability to open us to new truth and to get us moving. I finally acknowledge the painful truth that huge parts of my life, or iceberg if you prefer, remained untouched by Jesus Christ. See, in the moment, Jerry's confrontation felt like rejection. It felt like condemnation. It was incredibly painful for Pete to hear that from his wife. But as he looks back on it now he says it was the most loving thing that his wife could have done to confront him about what was going on underneath that she saw in his life that he didn't want to acknowledge. Why was that loving? Because it brought him face to face with the problem that he really had so that God could begin to do some work in his life a work of healing, a work of transformation. God confronts us with our brokenness, with our emotionally unhealthy tendencies, with that iceberg beneath the surface so that he can finally deal with what's really going on, so we can deal with, with, with who we really are. In our scripture reading from earlier in the service that Ronnie read, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we are living in the darkness, if we are unwilling to, to, to face the iceberg that's beneath to face our idols, to face the things that are are really going on that sometimes drive our disobedience against God. We're lying to ourselves. John says we don't live out the truth. Saul was lying to himself. 1 John 1 8 and 10 say, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. That's the danger of not being willing to deal with what's really going on in ourselves. That if we claim that I'm just fine, there's no iceberg there. I'm I'm, I'm just floating along fine. God says that we're a liar. And his word is not in us. You see, the rejection, the real rejection that we need to worry about is not the rejection from other people around us. If we are willing to actually expose that iceberg, The rejection we need to worry about is the eternal rejection we will experience if we are unwilling to be honest with God about our sin. God confronts us with our sin not to reject us, not to condemn us. He exposes our sin to save us. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess Our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is why God's confrontation is loving. Because we know that on the other side of admitting our brokenness, our unhealthiness, our failure, God's response is always forgiveness. It is always purifying us from our unrighteousness. Not judgment, not condemnation, not rejection. And so we may may experience the earthly consequences of our actions like Saul losing his place as king. That was a, a rejection he experienced in this life. Or like Jerry Scazzaro, leaving Pete's church for a period of time. That was some consequences that Pete had to face because of his sin. There was some rejection there. But those earthly rejections, those earthly losses, and even painful experiences, they're nothing compared to the fact that God might use those very things to save us. That he might actually use someone's heart, someone exposing us in order to save us, in order to transform us, in order to do deep work in us, to bring us to a place where we will be walking in a whole new way of life that is full of freedom and joy and health. Emotionally healthy spirituality It may be hard to get there, but when you get there, it's life. It's freedom. It's walking in the light. And that's what John says in 1 John 1.7. He puts it this way. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. They're talking about us and God. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Doesn't that sound good? To walk in the light? To be free from hiding? To be free from trying to paste over our brokenness and our weakness? From trying to use God to run from God? Just allow God to expose us so that he can heal us and transform us. So as we begin this journey of emotionally healthy spirituality, I want to encourage you to be open to God's loving confrontation in your life. This series may uncover some things that are difficult for you to face. It may expose some idols in your life that you may not even be aware of right now. And it may bring up some things from your past that you haven't fully dealt with. It may be painful. It may be uncomfortable. I want to just be honest about that. But here's the thing, I was thinking about this this illustration in, in, in closing. In the morning, when I often go downstairs, it's still dark out. And I turn on that light in our kitchen in the morning, and that light can seem blinding, right? You can probably relate to that, right? If it's dark outside, you turn on that light and you're just, ah, it's so bright. It can be painful to the eyes. And here's the thing. It can be very tempting to just turn off the light and say, you know what? It's a lot more comfortable for my eyes if I can just walk around here in the dark. And, and I just, I'm going to just try to see my way through the dark. But if you keep the light on, what happens? Eventually, your eyes adjust. And eventually, you are able to see things and do things that you wouldn't have been able to see or do if you kept the light off. Walking and living in the light, it opens up new possibilities. It opens up a brand new life. And so as God shines His light into our symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. It may be painful, but know that he's doing it for our good. He's doing it so that we can live in the light. He's doing it because he loves us. And so I want to encourage you, invite you, let's walk into the light in this series. Let's acknowledge our sin and our brokenness And some of those areas of unhealthiness in our hearts. And then let's receive his forgiveness and his cleansing. We're going to sing a response hymn after I pray that that talks about whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. To wash us whiter than snow. And then let's watch as our God does a deep work of transformation in us in our hearts. So let's pray. God, we acknowledge that that often like Saul, we don't want to hear those prophets that you bring into our life who who confront us with our sin, who point out the fact that that we haven't actually kept your law perfectly. That actually we think that we're really good, but But we know, Lord, deep down that we're not. But we don't want to face that, Lord, so often. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us an openness to your confrontation of us. That we wouldn't fear it, Lord, because we know that you don't confront us to condemn us. You don't confront us to reject us and to say you're out of it, you're out of here. But you confront us so that you can bring us into the light. You confront us so that you can heal those deep wounds, those deep parts of us, Lord, those idols that we're clinging to, like other people's opinions. Lord, that you're wanting to expose those things for our good. And so we pray that you would help us to embrace this process of of letting your light shine on that, that iceberg in our hearts, Lord. That we wouldn't run from you we wouldn't deny our sin, but that we would acknowledge it so that we can be forgiven, that we can be washed whiter than snow, and so that you can begin to do that work of transforming us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name.